I know it's an old hackneyed expression, but it happens to be the truth. You've got to start at the bottom. I know. That's where I am, at the bottom. That's a perfect place to start. I know that, but I'm not... There's got to yeah, be a... but looks so simple to the viewer at home. Yeah, yeah. Those things that come so easily, that are so relaxed, and look like it's a matter of just taking another breath. It takes years and years and years of honing that and working it. And there's only one problem, though, and I don't mean to, I'm not, I don't mean to interrupt you, but there's only one problem. I'm 34 years old. That's why I'm asking if you just listen to... I'm asking if you listen to my act. That's all. If you listen to my act, then tell me what you think about it. I'll tell you, know? you what. Why don't you call my office? All right, okay. All right? I could do that. Ask for Kathy Long. Terrific. She's my okay. secretary. Okay. And yes. we'll make time to listen to what you're talking about. Uh, you know how many times I had this conversation in my head? This is beautiful. Did it always turn out this way? Yeah, it did. <laughs> I'm Madeline, and I'm a writer and cultural critic. I'm Dave. I'm a comedian and proud SAG-AFTRA actor. I'm still saying SAG-AFTRA because we have not ratified the contract yet. I've heard there's some... I'm, I'm, I'm sketchy on it. Just so mm-hmm. you know, I'm keeping folks abreast of my feelings about the uh, the upcoming contract. But that's not what the podcast is about. This is Genre Reveal Party, where we talk about TV and movies through the lens of genre, its definition, its limits, and what we can learn by exploding them. We choose TV shows and movies to discuss with spoilers because you don't need to have watched The Thing to enjoy the podcast. We are in season two. We don't need another hero. And today we're talking about Martin Scorsese's 1982 movie, King of Comedy, starring Robert De Niro, Jerry Lewis, and Sandra Bernhardt. And we have a special guest here today to discuss the film with us, who's Eleanor Russell. Um, Hi, Eleanor. Hello! Eleanor is one of my favorite people on the internet. Um, she has a PhD in theater and drama and the interdisciplinary. Wait, what is it called? It's the interdisciplinary. It's so fucking stupid. It's the interdisciplinary <laughs> PhD in theater and drama from North- Northwestern. From Northwestern. University. You yeah. live in Taos. Mm-hmm. I love it. I'm from Albuquerque. Mm-hmm. And you're just uh, really rad. And apparently this film is really important to you. So... Yeah. I mean, I'm really excited to to find out why. Um, yeah. Most people I know have not seen this, and it was also a peculiar film in my childhood. So yeah, it's yeah, so really weird most people about. you know haven't seen it. Yeah, yeah, no, same actually. It's like it's a kind of minor Scorsese. I think because it's '82. I yeah. think that's part mm. of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I know too many comedians. That's the reason yeah. that everyone I know has seen this movie. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it's yeah, it's one of his more interesting movies, but also problematic. So we'll get into it. Yeah. Um, I'm going to do a little recap in case you're one of those people who has not seen this. Um, so the movie follows Rupert Pupkin, which is really hard to say, um, an aspiring comedian who becomes obsessed with Jerry Langford, a comedian and host of a late night talk show played by Jerry Lewis. Um, Rupert has made his basement apartment into the set of Jerry's talk show which Rupert imagines himself as a guest host. Um, and it's kind of like that episode of Seinfeld where Kramer <laughs> finds the original uh, Merv, Merv Griffin show set in a dumpster. Do you like that episode, guys? Yeah, no, you know that my, 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 husband, my husband said the same thing. He was like, oh, it's like the Merv <laughs> yeah. Griffin. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, but the difference is that Kramer has actual guests and mm. Rupert has cardboard cutouts. 
<laughs> one of them being Liza Minnelli. And I want to earmark this. Like, let's please talk about Liza Minnelli and Scorsese. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, you know, she was the co-star in uh, De Niro's co-star in New York, New York, um, mm-hmm. five years before. Have you both seen that? I haven't seen New York, New York. Sorry. Okay. I have not. All right, we won't talk about that, but we will talk about Liza and Scorsese. Okay, so Rupert thinks that meeting Jerry was his big break, and he keeps wasting his time waiting day after day in the reception room of Jerry's office to kind of eventually get very politely rejected, I would say. But then it escalates, he gets escorted out by security. And to complete the triangle, the other person obsessed with Jerry is Masha, played by Sandra Bernhard. And while Rupert and Masha are initially rivals, they eventually collaborate in a scheme to kidnap Jerry. I'm um, sorry, just the premise of being rival autograph collectors? Yes. I know. It's, just it's so, amazing. It's so funny. I'm obsessed with them. I love them. I ship them. Like, yeah, yeah, From exactly. the beginning of the movie when he's talking to the, uh, not, not Masha, but the others, and he's like, they're like trying to trade with him, and he's like, it, this isn't my whole life. It's it's your. It's not my whole life. It is yours. It's so <laughs> He's good. like, what are you saying? It's my whole life. Yeah, it's so good. Totally. Um, yeah, and that's that was why I wanted to watch this one. We were we wanted to do a Scorsese this season, and I wanted to watch this one um, because of its weird portrait of fandom and obsession and idolization. Because we're thinking about heroes, and Jerry is an absolute like fucking dick in this movie um it's uncomfortable and i don't know i don't think there's much else to to say plot wise it's a very simple plot but like complicated emotional ride i would say and genre ride i kind of think that the first 45 minutes of this movie feel like i mean it's good but it like feels like it takes forever because it's just it hasn't escalated (laughs) to the point where it's just like an insane madcap ride it's just like robert de niro doing crazy shit that makes people uncomfortable and like and then you know it's just it's so hard to watch to me i don't know um it took me like three hours to watch it yesterday because i kept like i "I have to go i like i have and the first time i watched it too it was the same thing i was like i have to go do the dishes right now like i can't deal with him like uh talking to this imaginary audience and like oh god yeah Yeah. (laughs) we'll fucking let's do it let's chat So, So, Eleanor, what was... Yeah, go ahead. Oh, gosh. We overlapped. Okay. Well, I just wanted to know... I was excited as you were to know what Eleanor's big deal with this movie was. Well, I mean, I don't know if I really have a... I mean, so, like, I'm a comedy scholar. I'm I'm writing a book about stand-up comedy. I've been obsessed with stand-up comedy the majority of my life. Um, I'm obsessed with stand-up comedy because I think it's the... I think it's the most embarrassing art form of all time, <laughs> even more than improv, because mm-hmm. the reason it's more embarrassing than improv is because improv at least is like a community activity. Stand up mm-hmm. is where like degenerates, no offense, Dave, degenerates go <laughs> to um to be, to exist <laughs> because they can't participate in normal human behavior and to me that is like i actually think stand-up in a sense is kind of like a metaphor for being a person because it's just like trying on different like personae and like trying on different uh trying to explain situations in really abstract terms is as is just so um is like what what poets do and it's what comics do and i'm just really interested in that sort of um 
that kind of performance type. So that's sort of why I like was invested in the film. And I still remain, it's still like one of my favorite movies, like top, definitely top five Scorsese for me. Um, but when did you first see it? I actually only saw it for the first time a couple years ago. Um, cause I was kind of one of those things I was putting off. Cause I was like, Oh, this is, this is going to be really hard. Like I, I didn't like, <laughs> this is going to be really hard for me to watch. Like, I don't know if I can handle this. And it was, it's true. It was really hard for me to watch. It's really sad. And, um, like this guy, I don't want to be diagnostic, but this guy is he—is he a sociopath or is he just a narcissist? I think he's just a narcissist, right? <laughs> Certainly, sociopathy is mentioned in a lot of the articles. Yeah, um, I think I, just... I even saw an autism diagnosis, which I'm oh like, no, I don't no, know no, if no. I love a conflation no. of sociopathy and autism. Absolutely that not. No, very especially because the movie is about mass media mm-hmm. and like how mass media, mass media created Rupert. Like he. It's why he like it's like you know the scene where he um what's her name what's the Rita he has Rita in his like fantasy yeah. where he's on the talk show and it's like and look and Jerry's like look and you're gonna get married on live TV and it's like and so you see you know Diane Abbott in the wedding gown and she's like walking down the aisle or whatever and it's like oh wow like he really can't live in the real world like he's trying to drag her with him into this apparatus into this like mass media phenomenon that you know and she doesn't want to be there <laughs> it's just mm-hmm. I don't know I find all those moments where because he can't exist in real life he can only exist in the media or you know on stage doing stand-up comedy yeah it's yeah that's the well he can't even do that i mean he's not even really been on stage right well he kills though like that's that that's really important the fact that he kills on his first try he goes up on you mean when he goes at the end of the the movie yeah he does like like if that's like his first show like i mean he's not good obviously it's not funny but like (laughs) the audience is like loving it it's well if it's a real Okay, yeah, that's not in real. I wanted to talk about that. Is it? Is the audience? I couldn't tell if the audience was actually laughing over it was all in his head that they were laughing. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think that that I think it. I think that the the audience was laughing. I think all of the hallucinations are not media. Don't have an extra layer of mediation. I I think so too. I think that's assuming. I agree. I think I agree with you. Yeah. Do, are, is it? Do you mean by like I'm thinking of? I really liked that the fantasies didn't have like a harp and a wobbly effect surrounding <laughs> yeah. them. Is that what you're talking about? But an, by an extra layer of mediation, Madeline. Well, because you're watching it on television, I think that it's okay. It's, okay. it's really happening, right? It's he is really, really he's re- he is really oh. performing stand up. So therefore, I think the audio the di- the audio is diegetic as well. I think that's mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Oh no, that's sorry. Get I get what you're saying. Yeah. I'm yes, I'm I'm mistaking him performing the first time on the show with oh, right. the very ending of the movie. Yeah, totally. Right. You're you're right. You're right. Did you notice, you're, yeah. Did you guys notice at the very, very end of the of the movie when he's performing, he looks at the camera at the very last second? Mm-hmm. It reminded me of the Revenant. <laughs> It's like oh. or cruising, dude. We oh, did cruising oh, yes. last season. Oh, yes. Did, yeah. It does yeah. it reminds which is Two years before, right? Oh, is it? But, um, yeah. Uh, yeah, 1980. I wanted to talk about, like, let's talk about that with, like, Taxi Driver and Travis Bickle. Let's just throw Taxi Driver and Joker in right away. Is that okay yeah. with you all? Yeah, yeah. Because I think that this question of, like, diagnostic reading, <laughs> like, in, yeah. In, in, um, is really interesting in in all of them, and I was contrasting it with like Psycho, right? Uh, the mm-hmm. Norman Bates like reveal at the end um, 
is so sudden, whereas all of these characters are kind of crawling into their perspective. And also in the end of Psycho, I mean, it's like this ultimate betrayal. I, I completely hate the end of Psycho where you have mm-hmm. the detective who gives like a formal diagnosis yeah. for you. And it feels like kind of a Twilight Zone episode or something like that. Well, you know? I think it's really important to, I, I don't want to be overly diagnostic because I do think that would deviate from the dominant like satire of both Taxi mm-hmm. Driver and uh, King of Comedy because King of Comedy is about, like I said, it's about mass media and how it atomizes. And Taxi Driver is about Paul Schrader. <laughs> you know, like, like, it's, it's important <laughs> to consider that Paul Schrader wrote Taxi Driver and yeah. he didn't write. And I think they're really different. I think, but I, I think that, um, I don't know. I think, I think the like weird, um, almost like religious obsession that Travis Bickle has in sort of his like missionary attitudes towards Jordy Foster and like is a, you know, is, is, um, is he's kind of ultimately the same in the, in the level of narcissism as, uh, Rupert Pupkin, but mm-hmm. it ends, but his, his, uh, um, violent urges are more, um, they you know extend outward into into actual humanity, whereas uh, Rupert uh, goes inward. Right, hmm. that's what I think. Well, I mean, also extern like as similar as the like far away sort of outline of both of Taxi Driver and this movie are like up close. It's really notable to me that like Rupert never loses his cool. Like he is always mm-hmm. like incredibly polite, right? Like in the waiting room, and and that's part of the tension of the movie is you're like expecting something to explode, right? And it just but and, but never, the explosion like, is just explodes. like him doing stand up. <laughs> that's the right, explosion is right. him just going, which is you know what if that what if doing uh. Yeah, you know, what if doing a tight ten minutes were as catastrophic as what Travis, Travis Bickle does? <laughs> right, you know, right. We've all been we've all been to shows where we felt, oh my god, you know, like this is. <laughs> um, I well, also that's think essentially that's... what Joker is, right? Like, it's yeah, the yeah. Todd Phillips has even said that he's mashing up King of Comedy and and oh, has he really said that? Driver. God, he's so fucking literal. I hate that guy. He's just. The I most actually literal appreciate dude. that he he acknowledges it. Yeah, it's maybe you're so... right. It's such an homage. I mean, I don't know. I think it's fine. It it's reminiscent of like Woody Allen's um, you know, homage moment of like his version of a Bergman movie, his mm-hmm. version of this and that. So I, I think that it, I think it's fine that that so long as he's acknowledging it. But yeah, it is kind right, of right. like, okay, what if we what if we endowed this comedy figure with the violence of Bickle, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's essentially what Joker is, right? Yeah, yes. I, I think that's yes, true. Yes, it's yes. sort of like a, what's the, like a melange. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, um, yeah. Um, De Niro, so actually, I actually found this out. De Niro discussed this in the press for Joker, that um, he thought that... Um, I forget what his character's name is. Murray, right? On yeah, Murray. Something uh, yeah, Joker. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Of, yeah, I'll find of it. Of the talk show host who's vaguely like the Jerry Lewis mm-hmm. figure, but also um, obviously De Niro. And he was thinking Murray Franklin. Murray Franklin. And he said he would have actually considered it if 
he was asked to literally play Rupert um, in in the film, and that that might have been an interesting take. So um, is this like the Rupert Pupkin cinematic universe? Like we have, <laughs> I don't know. Joker, it might be. We have like yeah. Taxi Driver kind of, yeah. I, I love that idea. Yeah. yeah the RPCU. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know what? I, I also yeah. was thinking a lot. I have become obsessed recently with this well, not recently, as my husband wants to be like, you've been talking about this for a decade. Um, uh, I am obsessed with the idea of what being a hack is and how there's mm. hack derogatory and hack like being really proficient at something. Like I think there's some, mm. there's like, like Dane Cook is a really good hack. Like if you watch him, he's like, he, his timing is always really good. Like he's really good at performing. Like he, he like he's a, he's a hack, but like you can understand like formally why he's successful, right? And then there's, you know, like, hack where it's you know um bad and not not even like sort of formally interesting like um like carrot top or something like carrot top or like um oh who's the um i don't know like right-wing comedians you know <laughs> like, like they're just like you're just I like see. not even yeah um and then there's something that i've been working on as an idea which is like failed hack which is mm. where someone attempts to do something hacky and cash in on mass media popularity and then, um, but doesn't succeed and does something else instead. Like Richard Pryor has written all these crazy screenplays that are insane. And he's like, no, I'm going to write a heist movie and I'm going to do a lot of cocaine about it and it's going to be great. And then you read it and it's terrible. Yeah, I think I talked <laughs> about this with Dave on, on his podcast, actually. So I hope I'm not repeating myself. But it's something I think is relevant for this film um, because I think that what Rupert does at the end is failed hack because it's such a horrifying depiction of, you know, his childhood and his life and the way he's Mm. sort of framing it of this, like, you know, narcissist talking about depravity, right? But it's, Mm -hmm. you know, couched in the language and uh, tempo and foremost accoutrement of uh, stand-up. And I think, yeah, I think he does failed hack at the end and it's just sort of weird. Yeah. Well, he definitely has, like, you know, in terms of, like, is he a good comedian? I think he's the uh, first time. We don't the... know. I don't think we can know yet. It's the whole thing is like, because he never, well, that was like his first time performing. I don't know. I feel like I know. <laughs> I and the give, answer is no. I want but... to give him the benefit of the doubt. I think he can get better. <laughs> I appreciate that. But it's, I mean, he's definitely doing this thing, which is the rhythm of yeah. stand up like and and it's so teased his act is so teased and so mm-hmm. like joker the whole movie is obvious one of the only to me super obvious things in king of comedy is the way we are teased with rupert's act wait what, i'm confused like, what do you mean what's su- super obvious what is super obvious yeah the that in king of comedy there i think there's two times previously one in a fantasy mm-hmm. where he is about to launch into his act. Yes. And instead we hear, we hear like his first line, like I'm from Passaic or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And then it cuts to something else or music swells oh, up. Oh, I just see. see. They the like, fake oh, audience laughing. Oh, I get it. So, so in Joker, he's I like see. straight up doing stand up the whole time. But in this one, it's like, it's sort of like, okay, is he going to actually do it? Like, yeah. yeah. And that okay. we, so it's like, I guess there's almost this like, well, how bad is it going to be? We don't think it's good. There's a chance it could be good. And then oh, the actual mat- him too, right? <laughs> That's well, so right. interesting. And the, and the material is so sad, dude. It's 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 yeah. literally him just laying out 
how he got this way, yeah. how neglected he was, how abused he was, and how his, but he's he doing talks about his sister getting rhythms. abused by his father. Like, it's, I know. yeah, I know, yeah. And he's so doing that gets it to, to the, the rhythms question. of stand up. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, that gets back to the question of like, did he actually do well? Or because we're seeing it all through the through the television, right? Mm-hmm. We're not seeing it as an audience member, and we're not seeing the audience, right? Right. right. And so I we think just hear them, though. We hear them. We hear them, but I think we're also meant to question, like, you know, is there a laugh track? Are they being told? Mm-hmm. To laugh? I wondered about right. that yes. if there was a yes. laugh track because they, yeah, I wondered about that too. Um, I think we're uh, meant yeah, to question I, the apparatus, you know, in, yeah. in, this, in this way. It's like it's Especially, not through his mind, but also television mm-hmm. is equally questionable. Right. Especially when he right. looks at the at the camera at the very, very end. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, okay, what? Hmm. <laughs> yeah, all the layers well, sort of coming all into the same space. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We do get a reaction. Now, who knows how authentic it is because he has bias. But the FBI agent at the end... It, it, after after he's like Rupert's forced them to watch his set yeah, and they take him so in, <laughs> he's like he's like I thought it was terrible. If that's your if that those are your jokes, he's like he doesn't say don't quit your day job, but he's like the guy. So it's clear that like even if that's a genuine audience really laughing, mm-hmm. it is vi- the view the TV viewing audience may very well hate Rupert's act. But it doesn't matter, right? Because sure. he, um, in the end, we find out he gets this big book. De- like he goes yeah. to he goes to prison, but then he gets a huge book deal. And well, but this is the part celebrity. that might that might genuinely be a fantasy, though. That is that's what I was going to ask. Is that like okay? So there's some theories of Taxi Driver, which I'm sure you all have heard, like that actually he dies in the end. Right? I know, I hate so. no, I don't I don't like that. I don't like that I don't it was like all it a dream. Either. I don't like the stakes of it if it's all a dream. I want it I think it gets better if it's real. I do. I agree. I agree. Uh, but I, yeah. um I think there's some kind of the reality of the ending in both of these films is mm. um made questionable, right? And okay, so but I was here's wondering about this. Here's what I want to say. I think yeah. just because the main character has hallucinations does not mean that we are to automatically be suspicious of like every element that might seem a little bit constructed in as be, in like a meta narrative way. I just mm-hmm. don't think I think it's like too I think it's it's over it's discursively as my advisor always says it's discursively overdetermining <laughs> the uh the role of mental illness in yeah. the narrative and like sort of communicative effects of the film. I do think so. I think it's yes, I think that both Travis Bickle and Rupert Pupkin can both be like mentally ill and also their actions matter and have consequences. You know what I mean? Totally, like yeah. that's oh, I, 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 sure. sloppy I'm surprised by how strongly I feel about this. But yeah, that's what I think. No, it, it, it does it, it invites a sloppy readership. Like the kinds of, of film fans who are saying this are oh. also like the ones who are saying everything's subjective, man. Like Shut you up. Know, I know. Uh, yeah, I hate that. Kind of, well, yeah. I'm gonna like are you are you saying <laughs> well, is this is that your <laughs> argument? For, yeah. Is this your argument for it's real, for the end being real? Or an argument that, for saying it doesn't matter? I think that he is on TV. I think that uh, we're still meant to wonder, like, 
uh, what did it go well, or is it just how manufactured a television show is, right? Well, I'm taking um, advantage of my radical subjectivity and deciding that it is real and all of the, the thing that happens after jail is all real and it's all, that's all part of the story. I think mine. that's true. Mm-hmm. That scene, though, where, I don't. Um, where you're seeing him wh- wh- at the set, right? Yeah. Where there's like, Rupert Pupkin, Rupert Pupkin. Wonderful. <laughs> right? And like, Wait, can you do that again? That was so good. <laughs> yeah, I've actually been practicing it too. Yeah. Wonderful. <laughs> um, and there's clapping. I think that's all a fantasy. I think that's very clearly oh, a yeah. fantasy. Wait, right? wait. I'm the clap. Yeah. Okay, yes. That is but a fantasy. But the scene on TV where he goes to the bar and he forces every. I think that all happened. I think that all happened. It's also. No, yeah. We're yeah. we're getting we're getting wires crossed because I also agree oh. that that he was on. Of course, he was on TV. Well, I don't whether know. Or, whether or not the the laugh track, whether or not there was a laugh track, okay. or the audience was okay. whatever. Like we don't know. But okay. it, I'm talking about the very very end where it mm. is so over the top. Literally every possible good thing that could happen to him happens. Mm-hmm. My argument for that being not real is that that is the quality of his fantasies. Is that oh, even, you think it's, Jerry, he, yeah. even Jerry is like obsequious to him in his right. – like he calls Jerry a <gasps> prince and he yeah. is the king. So to yeah. me, the end – the very, very ending ending. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is, I, is the part where I'm like, yeah, I think that's a fantasy. But also, but I it respect could be, if it's not. It could be the point where it crosses over to Joker, you know, in right, it, right. If we're gonna connect them, <laughs> then that part has to be real. Yeah. But then, but then that also means that Rupert. Murray. Well, right, Rupert gets a little <laughs> bit more. I'm gonna become Murray. <laughs> self-aware. Yeah. I know, I'm gonna become. I know. Okay. That was also what that what was like interesting to me about Rupert is like um he's not a total doofus. Like there are moments like when he's showing Rita the autograph book and he's very he's, Trump, like I think. W- well, totally. But yeah. he's also like he's like he's like making little comments on all the people whose autographs he's got. Mm-hmm. But then he gets to Woody Allen and he's like, "Oh, he's great. He's a- he's actually a close personal friend of mine." And I she like that- Actually, dismisses that's the one, that. one thing he yeah. says that isn't bullshit. I totally believe he and Woody Allen are friends. <laughs> but she dismisses it, and he acknowledges. He's like, oh, yeah, I know. It's, it sounds ridiculous, but but it is true. Like, mm-hmm. he has enough self-awareness mm-hmm. to know that certain of the things about what he's saying sound ridiculous, and yes. yet he plows through anyway. And yeah. that is very compelling to me. Yes. Maybe – that is interesting. Maybe, yeah, he has enough wherewithal. I also think it's worth noting that compared to Travis Bickle, mm-hmm. who I think I know maybe it's controversial, but I don't actually think it is. Ro- Travis Bickle, like Robert De Niro in Taxi Driver, is like really hot, right? Like he's like oh, really yes. hot, and he is <laughs> okay, not. This isn't where I thought you were going. And he is not okay. as Rupert Pupkin. Like that is yeah. not an attractive no. person. <laughs> and I think yeah. that's I don't know. That's that speaks to the comedy element too. I don't know. I just wanted to make that. That's true. Because it is interesting how like one is sexy and one isn't. Yeah. Mm, mm. Totally. <laughs> yeah, but. Are we Travis not supposed to talk Bickle, about that? <laughs> that is the only thing we're not allowed to talk okay, about. Okay, good. All right. Whether, <laughs> although when when there was the great debate over De Niro versus Pacino, which was hotter, obviously yeah. Pacino. I'm sorry, but um, yeah, I think you're probably right. I think you're probably Dave, right. This is you important. Wanna, you yeah, you want to weigh in? 
No. De Niro, dude. It's De Niro. Oh, gross. It's not even. Okay. Pacino is like a. Pacino's like if you're into wispy guys. De Niro's if you're into like solid. They're fucking, both like, short. Genuinely they're both short kings, guys. though. They're both very short kings. Yeah, yeah. but De Niro's got the shoulders. <sighs> Pacino's the a little Pacino, slumped. Though? I, 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 I'm not denying. Obviously, these people man. are movie stars. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. I have a question for you. So when I was a kid, I used to have these fantasies about being on a talk show. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, me too. Did either of you have those? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I love which talk show and like how far did the fantasies go? Were you in your bathroom like talking to yourself like Travis Bickle or? <laughs> daydreams you know uh i think i would what i think i used to fantasize so fantasize about being on rosie o'donnell because <laughs> i really yeah. i liked rosie I o'donnell it. i liked rosie o'donnell i was like i bet we would get along you know like eight that year show old was me. exciting <laughs> yeah. after school yeah, yeah. um she yeah. would have called you uh cutie patootie she would have yeah Yeah. and i was she would have been right (laughs) yeah no dude i my i never got to the point of talking to myself but i'm so glad you asked this question because this is genuinely one of the big like it's getting out from under the weight of this fantasy is one of the big accomplishments of my life. Like this oh fantasy, God, like yay. almost ruined my, like <laughs> almost ruined my life because yeah. I went into entertainment and still had such like rose colored glasses constantly. Mm-hmm. Now can say like, I know people at like, not the highest, maybe the second yeah. or third highest levels of like, you know, on anything that on you're watching TV on, I'm like, oh, I know that person. I know that person. Mm-hmm. So it's like, thinking that you're special and and this is why rupert is like a lot of the things about the things i've read about it talk about how like unrelatable rupert is i do not find rupert unrelatable Mm. but but the the so the fantasy for me a lot of times it was conan but a lot of times also it was the either letterman or leno opening credits and i would think about how my name would look mm. and whether i would go oh, sorry. the tonight show yeah, <laughs> yeah. dude what no. i was like i was yeah, like 12 no. years old Give me a why didn't you take a side because <laughs> i wanted the name oh. in the lights i didn't need a, yeah. you don't need a side when you're trying to get on the fucking couch man i feel like I a was real fan like, does take a side well, Whoa. I wasn't a real fan. I was an artist. <laughs> Fake so. fan. Oh. <laughs> Gamer girl. No. Okay. Yeah. But I was think I was like, okay, do I do like a Philip Seymour Hoffman thing? Do you do like a your full names? Do you do like a Paul uh, or not a Paul a PT Anderson? Do you do like a an abbreviated mm-hmm. at any point? So that was mostly what it was. I didn't think about like what I would say, but I vi- like having to be like Having to accept that I, at this point, likely will never be on a talk show is still, like, actually a little – there's, like, I would say 9% of me that that is, like, painful to admit. It is and interesting, like, yeah, that it's – Yeah, getting people, out from under it has yeah. been, like – it's it's just very helpful to be, like, okay, maybe living for this fantasy is, like, making my life slightly worse and hampering – what I'm allowing myself to do. And so it's only a good thing, but fuck, dude. It was, yeah, it's, 
Yeah, sorry, Eleanor, go no, ahead. No, 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 no. Um, no, thank you. It's it's interesting how people. I think we could largely agree that uh, a Travis Bickle scenario is way more likely in like real life than a <laughs> Rupert Pupkin. Like, no one is like gonna pull like. I don't know. It'd be interesting if someone pulled a real life Rupert Pupkin. But um, I also think it's the, that I actually think both both movies are incredibly relevant to like today. Obviously, it's, but but I think King of Comedy is really important that I think it needs to be talked about more in like our current moment because of how it's like, what if um being was just a being was just attention like in order to be a person he has to be receiving attention like he can't just like be himself he has to constantly be perceived and that's so like mm-hmm. what like having a brand is you know that's so what like having an Ugh. instagram is that's so like yeah we're, we are we are all rupert pupkins now to an extent you know i know yeah and that's exactly why i was like let's like not go too diagnostic because i yeah. think no, other yeah. than like the slight norman batesiness of it where it's like do you have a mother rupert like do you actually live with the mother mm. by the way that's martin scorsese's mom yeah i saw yes. that that's amazing um we need to talk about gender otherwise too i think in this. yes, yes. <laughs> otherwise i think it is like it's about obsessive fandom it's about mm. whatever parasocial relationships and mm-hmm. i don't know who said it wasn't relatable but it's highly relatable oh yeah i mean, um, I mean dude even the like i, I have friends who've, who I, i've like followed friends reading uh reviewing this on letterboxd uh, ty- this is now the new season two thing where I plug my letterbox. Dave Barr on letterbox <laughs> is um is when he's like they're in the car and Jerry's saying this like actually kind of like Malcolm Gladwell ten thousand hours y stuff mm-hmm. about how it takes yeah, years yeah. of experience to like know where to put the pauses and you got to start at the bottom and like one of the most relatable things is Rupert going like. Okay, yeah. No, I, I am at the bottom. And I'm I'm just like, ooh, yeah. you're like yeah, stabbing yeah. me in the heart. That and then he's like too, actually. Yeah. And then he says, the only problem is I'm 34. And something about that specific yeah. age being like Okay, Jesus. we're supposed to hang it up. Is that that's the time when you're supposed to have like completely hung it up by? Is like ugh, a bunch of my friends are just like, that's uh that's young, or like just like me being like scared of of that age as the like so clearly pathetic age to still be at the bottom you know what do you guys think is the differences between um jerry and rupert because i love i'm crazy about the scene just like the way it's shot but also just yeah. for the scene where he's where jerry's wandering around the city and like and everyone's mm-hmm. noticing him and talking to him <laughs> he's like the woman's on the payphone with like her nephew or something he's like he has cancer like will you get on the phone with him and he's like no and she's like i hope you get cancer <laughs> it's so funny <laughs> and apparently that's based yeah. on a real incident that happened to jerry lewis but the thing i like about that scene is it's like he clearly doesn't like all the attention but he also isn't going out of his way to like disguise himself like he's wearing his outfit that he wears on the show he's just walking mm-hmm. around new york city and it's just like just being himself i don't know i just thought that was interesting it was like made me think about like how he moves through space and how he moves through the world versus how uh, Rupert does. I don't know. What do you guys think? I mean, I think it's interesting because I don't think any of his jokes are particularly funny. No. I get how they are, like, they hit for that audience at Mm -hmm. that time. Super middle brow. Yeah. Yeah, to me, that's, like, kind of the luck thing of, like, well, this guy got a break. And now he is wizened by experience and uh, enough to just like brush everything off. And I also like do think Jerry Lewis's performance in this is fantastic. It's excellent. And that it's 
pretty much not a performance. I'm okay. like, I don't think Jerry, I think Jerry Lewis <laughs> is like probably a pretty that's bad guy. I don't actually think that's a thing. Actually, when people say that, oh, he's just playing himself. I actually don't think that's a thing. I think that actually playing yourself is really hard. I actually think it's it's why you see so many amateur actors when they're forced to perform just like a regular guy. They cannot fucking handle it. I actually think but, that playing yourself no, is actually sure. hard. <laughs> so well, I actually t- I'm not saying it's not hard, but I'm mm. saying I I think the flaws of Jerry are very. I, I think Jerry Lewis was a cranky, like irascible, okay. unlo- yeah. deeply unlikable person. And at a certain point, like yes, absolutely, when you're like trying to audition for things beginning acting but he'd been on camera for so much of his life yeah so at that point okay i think I see it what you're is saying. very natural okay for i see what you're himself. saying i was just like i think i don't want to like begrudge the labor of that because i think that's really no 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 hard. totally, uh, totally. Yeah, yeah yeah okay I yeah agree so other people considered for that role first mm. choice Dick was Cavett. johnny yeah johnny right. carson yeah johnny yeah. carson was the first choice he said no he said you know that one take is enough for me um <laughs> okay Orson Welles. That would have been amazing to see Orson Welles and Sandra Bernhardt in that weird, like, scene where she's trying to seduce him. That would have been incredible. That would have been amazing. I mean, this Um, was already amazing and is, like, just Jerry Lewis and Sandra Bernhardt acting together is just such a, like, seems like a dream invented for Eleanor Russell. It just feels like the universe has bequeathed this gift to me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. And Sinatra and Dean Martin were considered before they got to Lewis. He was I like think pretty low on the list. Terrible. I agree. Choice. I think Sinatra would have been a mistake. I think Dick Cavett would have been good, but I don't. I don't. Yeah, I don't. I, but I really to get think to Jerry your point, Lewis is high up on the like. He, he's really the right choice for this. Yeah, is is why I think. Yeah. Yeah. To get to your point, though, I don't think Dick Cavett or Johnny Carson could have played themselves. I think they would have been really horrible at it. Right? Do and, you think so? Yeah. Um, yeah, maybe. Yeah, right. Well, they're kind so, of sieve like they. I'm trying they, to weigh in on your point about you yeah. know how it is hard to to, yeah. to play yourself, and you're right. And I think they made the. I think that Jerry Lewis is great. I think they had to do a lot of things offset to irritate him before he went. Yeah, on screen. I, I read that they um like well cause De Niro's method. So he was like doing all this crazy shit, and he kept like um like hurling like anti-Semitic slurs at him. Then Jerry Lewis would get yeah. like upset, but then yeah, but he said he really enjoyed working on the movie. So yeah, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, let's talk a little bit about, okay, I want to, I want to say I also grew up fantasizing about being yeah, 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 yeah. on a talk show, but. How far did it get for you? Because yeah. you need to reveal yourself now. No, I think I am, reveal yourself, it's like a small segment in <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think that that's part of why I'm like a writer or a critic. I'm actually, there was a point where I. Decades ago, I realized, no, I don't want that. I don't want, I don't like people looking at me. You know, mm-hmm. I'm fine on a podcast. In fact, if we're talking about like, oh, would I like being interviewed by somebody? Although almost everybody who I would want to be interviewed by right now is like acting like a Zionist or, you know, <laughs> yeah, like yeah. Uh, neutralizing genocide and things like that. So it's not really a moment of like fandom for me. Um, it's, or actually it is, because I'm feeling betrayal in weird ways. Mm, yeah. Um, mm, yeah. But, yeah, I don't like being looked at, right? But I do have these parasocial relationships with 
specifically with O'Brien and Letterman mm-hmm. from my childhood, where I instead of something like, oh, I wish I could be on their show and like have my moment in the spotlight, I want to have some like conversation with them about, you know, some shared experience from this like nineties past or something like that. That was more what I had to to sort out. Yeah. Mm. That makes so it sense. wasn't it wasn't you be it, it didn't get to you speaking out loud like pantomiming. No, but it's like the feeling of wanting to be known by this yeah, entity yeah, yeah. who you feel so familiar with, mm-hmm. right? Um, Mal- you've Mal- heard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is it like kind of like um? It's not so much that you want to like be on TV or be seen, but it's more like you have like all these like worlds inside of you that you want to like share <laughs> with this other person that you. Yeah, I think exactly. That's, that, that's what it feels like for me too. Is I just I have so many like ideas in my head all the time and especially when I was a kid you know and it's just like oh, I just want I wish there was someone who was like wanting to hear all my crazy shit you know exactly yeah <laughs> it, it would make me happy if you know one of the like if Maria Bamford read my read my book for mm-hmm. instance like mm-hmm. I, I had a book sent to her that's mm-hmm. the kind of from my publisher like that's the kind of that's so cool oh my god par- and I'm sure she didn't I'm sure she didn't read it you know what I mean you're I not bet, sure I though bet she did. part I bet, of you I bet she, she did. did but part of did. me does hope right yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. that she doesn't so I could relate to that but that's like it's a feel it's a wanting to be seen by someone you see rather than like yeah needing needing yeah. to replace them that's also very interesting because like Rupert hates um Jerry too. Wait, why am I called? Is his name is Jerry, right? Jerry yeah, Langford. Jerry yeah. Langford. Jerry yeah. Langford. I don't know why. I get, I'm well, like, he's, he's yeah. He, he he over time he hates him. When he realized when is when's the point where he starts hating? I think he always hates him. Really? I think he always. Yeah. Ha- I think that he he wants to be him, and mm-hmm. so there's a level of hatred that yeah. you have to have to want to like actually replace the person. Right. It's right. a, little it's a different kind yeah. of yeah. It is. It's Oedipal. Mm-hmm. It's like a different kind of fandom. Mm-hmm. Um, which I think that Joker is really like cranking to eleven, you know. Yeah. But like yeah. the violence of this fandom um, is like he wants a world in which Jerry doesn't exist because he's in Jerry's place, right? But Masha doesn't. Masha doesn't right. want to be Jerry. She wants. So to let's be talk about Masha. Let's no, talk about these different please. kinds of fandoms. Yeah. yeah. Like, what's yeah. her so deal good. with? She, I think she has more of the fandom that I'm talking about, where she's like, "Oh, I, there's so much I want to tell you about myself." Yeah, right. Like, yeah. and she wants to have an intimate dinner with them. Yeah, and I, I relate much more, even though I'm not like an autograph chaser or something like that. I relate more to that kind of desire in terms of these, yeah, celebrity figures. I well, like is that is that gendered? Like, it's very it, like, gendered. Yes, you know, I yeah. feel like there's something. About that. I accept. Another problem accept. with Scorsese movies in general is that sort of women are kind of receptacles for, uh, you know, um, love or motivation for the male characters in the movie. The thing I, do, which is why I think I'm so obsessed with Rupert and Masha's relationship because like they're both like so delusional that they're kind of like toddlers parallel playing, you know, like, yes, they don't, like yes. and it's like, which is like really endearing to me. Like they're sort of like, cause they don't, they can't really connect with each other. Cause there's no, there there, yeah, you know, yeah. but so they like come up with this scheme together, you know, that's, you know, in order to abduct this guy and then they go to her house. Oh my God. Her house is so funny when 
he has amazing. to get on the when he has to get on the phone and her phone is just like this bizarre antique. Oh my god, it's so good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it's and yeah. she said she's never cooked dinner for anyone. She's never had a dinner party. Yeah, you know? yeah. But like her place is so fabulous. I mean, yeah. I don't know. I just want her to have dinner parties. I know. (laughs) Yeah. That was also my feeling about it. Like, how sad that, like, she has this relationship to him through this television set. Um, Yeah. She has every reason to be able to have different kinds of relationships. Whereas he, I don't know, he's got this sad existence. Mm -hmm. Um, And I kept thinking about the interesting, like, parallel between the, the the scenes of him talking to Liza Minnelli as mm-hmm. cardboard and yeah. their their dinner scene with um Jerry as a hostage like he's duct taped to a chair which yeah. is oh the joke the visual joke where um when he starts taping him and then you realize that he's like covered him completely in tape was so funny <laughs> <laughs> um uh, oh I was going to ask you um shoot uh what do well, we think I have a thought oh, yes, about please. about um the the fact that she is so clearly well off adds an interesting dimension to this movie. Cause if it was just yeah. Rupert mm-hmm. there, there could be a class argument about the difference between Jerry and Rupert. But the fact that she's clearly, she's got enough money to like hand Rupert wads of cash to, to have these fucking throne like chairs in her apartment Mm -hmm. makes it like makes it makes the conflict between like celebrities and everybody else as opposed to like upper class and and everybody Mm -hmm. else i also think i think that's really intentional and formally good because it makes it very clear that rupert's problem isn't that he doesn't have money he could have all the money in the world and he would still be who he is so there's there's that so that's the that's the element of the film that's important i think unlike you know um uh, Wolf of Wall Street, right, is a different, you know, mm. that, that, you know, he would be different if he did, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, right. So that's a different, it's a different connotation there. Um, what about Rita? Wolf of Wall Street. What'd you say? You hate I it? I hate Wolf of Wall Street I love, so much. I think it's so funny. I love that movie. Yeah. We could battle. We could do. We could Next battle. time. Yeah. Can I also, before we move on, I just want to, like, Sandra Bernhardt's performance oh my God. in that is so, good. is so fucking yeah. good, dude. Yeah. Like, I, like, I mean, I, I hate that this is, like, what took up so much of my brain space, but for so much of her time on screen, I'm like, do I find her attractive or not? Yeah. And, yes. and, and, and like, yes, and that, e- even that <laughs> itself was, like, an, a, a thing of, like, fascination. She's, like, but horse then girl beautiful. Her, like, yeah. her jokes. Yes, exactly. <laughs> right. But the, the things, I, I guess there's a lot of improv in that scene from what I read. Not that it mm-hmm. matters, but when she's talking about, like, like she's taking a bath and sometimes she wonders if Jerry's taking a bath. Oh, was that improvised? She, I didn't know. Well, that. I don't know, but then she <laughs> says, and I just hope, you know, you're not drowning or something. I'm like, what is happening? Just like, she's just saying these like bonkers. She, she'll, she'll say, you know, an, a, a, a worse version of the character would just have the vision of mm-hmm. them taking a bath at the same time. Right. But she has all these extra comments on it that, that are like, that she, almost her version of jokes where she's like adding yeah. these things on, but they're like at his expense. They're so heightened as to be like, 
I think they are. What jealous. if I like spilled your guts all over the floor or something like that? You <laughs> she's know, sort He's of like... maternal in that way. She's both like <laughs> wanting to be like sexual, sexually intimate with with Jerry, and also like uh, wanting to dress him right and like treat mm-hmm. him like her little doll. Yeah. Like it's both. It's weird. Yeah. Yeah, you don't quite know if she wants to have sex with him. I don't think she would know time. what to do. I think she's like well, the Joker. Yeah, she the does jo- undress and say she yeah. wants to make no, love on point, the table. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Until totally. that point, you're kind of like, is this sexual? Like, <laughs> no, it, right, 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 right. She <laughs> reminds me in that scene of that line that Heath Ledger has in Dark Knight, where he's like, "I'm like a dog, you know, or I wouldn't know what to do if I caught it." You know, I think she's like that with Jerry. I think she doesn't oh, really yeah. know what to do. Yeah. yeah, I, I love that. Yeah. Mm. Um, what were you? What was the other thing you were gonna say? Yeah, you said something about Rita, Eleanor. That I just, you... I, is she the stand-in for the audience? She's like the Civil Shepherd character yeah. in Taxi Driver. I think where right, I think yeah. yeah, I think that you're mm-hmm. supposed to most see it through her. Mm-hmm. Well, one thing I read right? the. Yeah, I think yeah, you're, totally. She's the only I mean, reasonable person in this. She is. In this. <laughs> Except she finds Rupert more amusing than I think a lot of us would. I think she's just a really good person, and I think she wants yeah, to I think help she's him. Nice. I think she wants I think she to feel sorry him. for him. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah, yeah. Well, the, the thing that so I, I mean, I saw this movie years ago, but then before this recent rewatch, I actually read the Pauline Kale review, which is pretty yes. scathing. I and loved it. I read it I, as well. It's, it's an entertaining <laughs> review. I actually don't. I, I either I either don't agree, or there are certain parts where I agree, and that's what I like about mm-hmm. the movie. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But one thing she says is that like everyone looks like crud, and that like even. Diane Abbott, that, that's her name, right? Yeah. I mean, Rita. But yeah, Diane mm-hmm. Abbott, like, like that she looks bad because she steals that li- little bobble from oh, his co- table. I cheered and when I'm she like, did that's that. Not, yeah, I, <laughs> that's I'm like, fine. that doesn't make her look like some horrible person. She's just like, oh, this guy's being kind of a dick. I'm going to take some yeah. shit from his house. You know? Yeah, why not? Yeah. That was great. And apparently she was married to De Niro. At yeah. Yeah. That's tight. Yeah. 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 Okay. I want to give some goss on this. So I want to talk about Liza as the cardboard cutout. So during the filming of New York, New York, she and Martin Scorsese, they're both married and they have an affair, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Goes on for a while. He's obsessed with her. He's obsessed with, um, in, in you know, an obsessional way in the kind of way that you know, Rupert has, right? Because she's the daughter of Vincent Minnelli and Judy Garland. Mm -hmm. At the time of making this, he'd married, (coughs) do you know? Homest. In 82, he's with another woman. He's married Isabella Rossellini. (gasps) Same. I mean, it's a time. That's fucking crazy. No, I'm talking about Martin Scorsese, dude. Oh, 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 yes, okay. yes, yes. Okay, Martin okay. Scorsese. And so he was thinking a lot about, like, I guess he looked at the script of this in the early 70s and didn't yeah. really get it. But I think especially in his relationship with Liza Minnelli, started to to grapple with Rupert, Rupert questions himself. And in 82, he's with Isabella Rossellini. They get married. Oh, my God. Um, yeah. He hasn't been with any other director plus 
leading lady mm-hmm. daughters, but that's like still a pretty intense that track is... record. Also, did you notice um, that? E- okay, so Liza Minnelli only appears as a cardboard cutout, right, in the movie. Mm-hmm. But did you yeah. notice that she's credited at the end? It's like Liza Minnelli yeah. is Liza Minnelli. Yeah, yeah. Just sort of he was trying to get attention from her because he was he was obsessed with her. So <sighs> when they were when they were having their affair together, he found out that she was also having an affair with. Mikhail Baryshnikov, okay? Oh, shit. Side note, good for her. Yeah, <laughs> I met him once. Um, <laughs> then he and his wife and she and her husband are in Central Park. They run into each other, okay? And Scorsese confronts Liza Minnelli in front of her husband about this affair with Baryshnikov, ending both of their marriages... But apparently he yelled at her, how could you do this to me? How could you do this? You've betrayed me because oh of Barishnikov. Um And at this time, they weren't, like, exactly on speaking terms. But they continued to have this, like, really tumultuous relationship. Coke-fueled. He was, like, going in and out of hospitals. Yeah, like, yeah. In the early 80s as well. So I just wanted to bring that up. You know, Scorsese Sco- is very much an obsessive fan. And yeah, he's also has boundary issues around that. And that's yeah. like being played out in this movie in fascinating ways. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, it's cool to think about it as an auteur film. I really like doing that. I also think uh, Scorsese is interesting. Uh, I just find him very relatable. He's he's an ADHD king. He was diagnosed with ADHD in like old age. And he used to use cocaine as like a way to like, I don't know. I just to cope. He, he talks really quickly. He's obsessed with shit. Like, I'm like, same, you know, maybe I have a parasocial relationship <laughs> with Martin Scorsese. Yeah. I, well, but I, I think as, as far as an auteur movie goes, I think mm-hmm. everything I read, De Niro's the auteur of King of Comedy because Martin Scorsese, it. like, yeah. didn't want to direct it. He wanted to direct, like, La- Last Intention Christ good point. or something. Yeah. And De Niro, it's obviously a character study, but De Niro, I think, like, got, found the script initially. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so. Yeah, in Taxi Driver Days. No. And yeah. he wanted this to be their follow up to Raging Bull, which it was, right? Mm-hmm. But he wanted to have a comedy be the follow up to right, Raging Bull. Right, which is. And the movie is a comedy, which is. It's just me. Is it? I think it is. I think it is. Dude, when you see Joker, <laughs> it's no question that King of Comedy is a comedy. Yeah. To, in my mind. Mm. Yeah. Because Joker, from the beginning of Joker, when it takes the all of Joker takes itself so seriously. I know. It's, and, it's so painful. And what's weird, I'm like, I don't even think this movie is, it thinks it's subtle. I, I just oh. think that. It thinks that, like, I in my in my little uh, my letterbox review, uh, I'll, I'll quote my own letterbox review of Joker, good, where good. I called it a hammer that thinks hammers are scalpels. Yeah. So it's it. like it knows it's a hammer, but it thinks a hammer is like a more sophisticated instrument. I I think that's exactly right, but I do want to say I think for me the reason I'm sort of a little bit like I can kind of tolerate joker a little bit is because i do think as a movie it's like a battle between todd phillips and joaquin phoenix joaquin phoenix is like doing something i think in excess of what todd phillips really like is intending i think there's something Mm -hmm. i think the send in the clown scene is so there was also the year where they had it's like sondheim had a big year that he was in marriage like his marriage story was really weird Mm. um and that was one of the movies where i was like why are we why are we turning to like these dream ballets like what's going on Mm. Um, yeah and i i just think there's like these moments in excess of the vision that of the incredible i love that metaphor you had um 
Dave. Uh, Thank you. It's like, I think there's moments where Joaquin, Joaquin Phoenix's performance is an excess of that. And I can see he's doing something special. And then it's like, but it just keeps, he gets getting like slammed down by the fucking obviousness of the apparatus that he's operating in. I just don't need any more actors turning skeletal to show they're committed to roles. That is extremely fair. Yeah. I also, it's it's Oscar Beatty. It's very Oscar Beatty, but yeah, I'm also not psyched that they're, one of our maybe the only major star with a visible difference is the Joker. Like, I'm not loving that. Not great. Sure. In terms of representational politics, not ideal, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, whatever. <laughs> but I mean, King of Comedy is, I, I mean, I guess it's one of those things where it's like, it, it, whether it's a comedy or a tragedy, a little bit hinges on whether you think that last fantasy is a fantasy, a fantasy. or really happens. Yeah. It's a little bit dependent on whether you're seeing the movie from Rupert's point of view, from Jerry's point of view, from Rita's yeah. point of view, like yeah. all of that. But it also, there's so many good little quips throughout the whole, like from the beginning when he said, when he says to the other autograph hounds, like it's, it's not my life. It's, <laughs> it, it's, it's your whole life. It's not my, it's not mine. Just these little things. And like, yeah. Especially in these super heightened moments, like there's the moment when they're like sticking up, they they've they've kidnapped Jerry, and Rupert is like offering uh, Masha like a stick of gum or a mint or something, and she's like says make some little comment where she's like, yeah, no, I do want it, but just save it yeah, for later. Yeah, I've yeah. got kind of like a big thing happening. I laughed right at now. that. I laughed at that part too. It's yeah. great. It's these little quips. I'm like, this is a like a funny. It's absolutely movie. a comedy in the way that Banshees of Insurance is a comedy, I think. I think it's absolutely mm. a comedy. I think formally it does all the timing things that comedies do. I yeah. I just think you can't I mean whether or not you think it's funny is another matter, but I think it's definitely a comedy. Sure, sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's a comedy too, but I do think it it's like it's a challenge. I mean, I don't yeah. know if Scorsese can make a comedy. This is his attempt to make a comedy. Wolf of, Wolf I guess that's kind of. How I know I was Wolf of Wall that. Street is a comedy. It is a yeah. pratfall, like physical yeah. humor. It is a straight up comedy. Just because there's like, it's on, I think people get confused because it's on like a grander scale. Maybe. Well, there's this know. interesting. I don't think you guys like, do. But when, <laughs> yeah. when Wolf of Wall Street came out, um, uh, DiCaprio and Scorsese were on Charlie Rose, mm-hmm. and. DiCaprio said it was a satire. Yeah. And Scorsese was like, I didn't think it was. <laughs> well, I think he can't. Well, I don't think he, as an auteur, I don't think he can think of it as a satire because he's trying to direct a whole world. He's trying to like, yeah. he can't just think of it yeah. solely in terms of a message. He has to think about it. Okay, totally, this totally. as moving parts he has to assemble together. So it makes sense that DiCaprio would, would identify that. But I don't, let's start. Although yeah, DiCaprio totally. also like, apparently like, listens to music on in headphones while he fucks his like I read I read that too he so how much of a satire is on his phone he's on his phone like I don't know about this yuck yeah Yeah, I know okay I didn't need to know that actually I can't remember I can't remember remember Um, where I read that like how do we both know that I don't know yeah I I mean it's like enough of a rumor where I'm like uh, I don't know I kind of I kind of buy it I I mean I guess allegedly 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 I'll Mm -hmm. I'll say yeah Mm -hmm. But I think I think it's interesting about Scorsese. Like I, I don't think he often really thinks too much about genre. And like New York, New York is a really interesting exception where he's like really trying to lean into a genre picture. But whatever, right? Like when he when he directed it, 
a house of mirth and everyone's like, why are you directing these? Like, it's a New York movie. Like, that was his, yeah. you know, that's just how he works, you know? Yeah. Well, when he's doing Raging yeah. Bull and this and Taxi Driver, when you focus so much on character, I think that's mm-hmm. a way of getting away with having to think, think about genre too much. Yeah. I think it's true. So, okay, the other people before it came back to Scorsese after Raging Bull, mm. um, Michael Cimino was going to direct it. He was actually set to do it for quite a while. And Bob Fosse considered directing it for quite a while as well with Andy Kaufman. Yes. And Bob Fosse didn't do it because he went to direct Star 80, which which is a notorious flop. But have you seen it? It's actually <laughs> yes. amazing. I love Star 80. It's I, like... Yeah, I love all of Fosse, honestly. But yeah. you know, I was I was kind of um, stuck on that. Like, wow, what would that like alternative? Okay, universe maybe where this is Andy obvious. Kaufman is Rupert. Like, okay, fascinating, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think I I read that and I was like, that's maybe I've just got like Kaufman saturation. Mm-hmm. Or the Carrie as Kaufman has kind of soured Kaufman for me. Yeah. But I'm like, that sounds fucking terrible. It made me, me groan when I read it. And I think I'm in the same page as you. Like, I can't tell if but I'm, like, over. <laughs> yeah. I think I think I just had a flash of, what if Andy Kaufman were Jerry Langford? <gasps> and, yeah. and given his predilections, I think he actually would probably want to play a role like yeah, that. Yeah, that would more. be interesting. That I could kind of see. Hmm. You know, I mean, I would, it wouldn't work so well with like they're visually, on, mm-hmm. you know, they'd have to de-age De Niro. Well, he could have Tony then. Stark play Rupert. <laughs> Tony Stark, the fictional uh, RDJ. Who's? Yeah. Oh no, wasn't his name Tony Stark also his alter ego? Uh, yeah, yeah. That's. Am I talking about um? Iron Robert Man? Downey Jr.? Yeah, yeah Robert, Robert Downey, Downey Jr. Jr. Yeah. No, but uh, what was Andy Kaufman's uh, alternative? Oh, oh, uh, oh, Mighty oh. Mouse. Mighty Mouse. No, no. Um, no. Had... Uh, Tony, Tony Clifton. Tony Clifton. Oh, Tony Clifton. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, Stark. We got, <laughs> we got all sorts of wires crossed. That was really funny. I was, watching <laughs> the Albert, I was watching the Albert Brooks documentary last night, which you all should absolutely watch. Oh, it's amazing. I really want to watch it. And it, it made yeah. me think about how he, I think he would have been better as Langford. Although, oh wow, yeah, he would have been great. Yeah, as yeah. either honestly, but meh, yeah. yeah, more as Langford. He, what they so should do make at... it a stage play, and he and De Niro trade off <gasps> Langford and and yes. Rupert. Every I'm day. like yes. American I would Buffalo style. Kiss myself. I would be yeah. so good. That'd be so good. <laughs> yeah, be amazing. Um, yeah, I don't know. I I would be really curious. Those are all such different directors. I mean, I guess Chimito is kind of like. What he else did Chimino do? I know the name. I mean, Deer I Hunter was. Oh, his. whoa! Heaven's okay. Gate. Okay. But he's he's a pathological liar too. Um, <laughs> in the same way as as um, Travis Bickle, like you know how Travis Bickle wasn't at, probably didn't go to Vietnam or like right. maybe mm-hmm. he did, but like I don't think he did. He's saying right. that he. Yeah. Did. yeah, that's one theory I will definitely buy into. I'm like, yeah, I don't think he's actually a vet. But, this is not um, a veteran's rights film. That's not what this is about. Chimino, like, <laughs> lied a whole bunch about his experiences at war. Um, mm-hmm. Honestly, go And off, a bunch dude. of other things. Steal what that was, valor, bro. I'm down. Who was that comedian who lied about okay. 9-11? And oh, then Steve like, Ranazisi. Yeah, that was, that was bad. Oof, that was yeah. awkward. <laughs> oh, <God. sighs> 
Can I, yeah. while we're on, but I'm totally down to veer off comedy again, but there is something mm-hmm. that is like, it, it, I, I think it translates. I think both of you as people familiar with standup, it translates, but his audition tape for the show, Rupert's mm-hmm. audition tape is so bonkers. It is I, 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 that I don't know if people even at the time or even now watching who are like outside of show business, like would realize that a narrated introduction to say, Hey Jerry, it's me, Rupert. I'm here to tell you, like that's already fucking wild. Like no one, the, the way now that it works, I mean, people are like, as as the secretary implies, like out at clubs, like watching things, yeah. Or you're mm-hmm. getting a clip of someone, and the clip is starts at the beginning of the show. There's as little introduction as possible. You're seeing the person's first joke, but but for to imagine now a video clip of someone talking direct to the camera and going, "Hi, Mr. Booker. My name is Dave Marr. I would like to do your show because of this." And oh then so God, so the yeah. intro is bonkers, and then to go. So here's how I imagine it. The audience is here. You come out and you say, you're like, dude, none of this is your audition so far. So far, you're just like telling him how his show works. (laughs) That shit is like so, it's so funny. And so like, because it's so horrifying that like, there are certain times when you get things wrong, when you don't know the etiquette of a thing. And it's just that like pushed into the red that Mm. I like, that was one of those moments where like, as a comedian, I was like, like this is just like killing me. (laughs) Okay. So that's a good, that's a good idea. Okay. Can we talk about what scene in the film made you feel the most abject? (laughs) What was the moment where you were most like, Mm. oh my, like hollowed out by what you were seeing? (laughs) Wow. That's quite a competition, actually. I know. I I don't know what I'm going to say. (laughs) I think it is Masha's scene. Where yeah, he, yeah, where she, he tricks her to take off the tape. For yeah, me, which I, is I, so funny her. as a plot device that he's just like, "Hey, will you take this off?" And you realize, like, oh, plot doesn't matter to this movie. Like, you don't need some big grand things. It's kind of amazing. <laughs> I think. What's for yours, me, though, yeah. Eleanor? I think for me, it's got to be when they're at his house, at his summer house, and the like, uh, mm-hmm. household manager or whatever is like calls jerry on and then he comes back and he's jerry's wearing those short shorts and the short shorts and also did you notice how fucking terrible the art is in his house it was like his house is like filled with the worst most like late 70s like ceramic (laughs) shitty ass art that amazing it's like it's terrible fucking taste it's unbelievable um yeah i just when and then when rita's just like I just, I just felt really bad. I just, it made me feel really sad yeah. and bad. Is that because you're feeling it through? I think I was feeling Rita? it through both Rita and also Jerry. Like the way Jerry is so like, like he's clearly been working. He's clearly been handling crazy people who have been obsessed with him like his whole career. So he's not, he's not <laughs> even like this isn't even that big of a deal for him. It's just really fucking annoying to him. And that just like, I don't know. It just felt so pathetic. Everything I was like, everyone here is just so pathetic. <laughs> it is yeah. really funny that like. When he starts to argue with Rupert in that scene, when Rupert's like, I'm going to become 50 times more famous than you ever oh, are. That, that, that's, that, no, that was the scene. Like, that's the, that's yeah, the line no, I felt most Yeah, no, that Jerry's <laughs> response is not like, 
you're never going to become famous. He like almost entertains him. He says like, yeah. then you're going to be dealing with people like you all the I'm like, dude, you're giving him an inch on this. He really is a pretty good sport about this shit. Like he really <laughs> yeah. does like there. Yeah. I, I thought I was like, oh, but he, is he going to like kill him? Like, I mean, there's totally yeah. like yeah. it could have been, but he's just like, nope, just get it. He doesn't even, he doesn't even call the cops there. He calls a cab for him. Right. <laughs> he calls he calls a case like there's a taxi yeah. waiting for you it'll take you like he I presumably pays for the cab like I don't know it's crazy yeah. like <laughs> I think my most abject scene it's probably I'm trying to think if it is or if I I think it's the second waiting room scene in oh the reception my God. area. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It, in my mind, it's just one long. All the reception area stuff is just like one long chunk. But when he's <sighs> specifically talking to the secretary, and he's like, and this is going to come back in my genre reveal. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. when he says to her, he hands her this tape of this bonkers audition he's made because she's agreed to like listen to it somehow and it's also it's so so important to this movie i think that he has never done stand-up comedy like he doesn't even say like i want to host the show he wants to be on as a stand-up which is so i don't know i can't explain it but it's so fascinating and when he says that he like got his start in autographs it's like that's not how you start. That's not it's a like thing. it's wild. But then but so he hands the secretary the tape and she's like, "Great. We'll get we'll get back to you." And this moment mm-hmm. where he goes, "And when will that be exactly?" And and I was just like, "Oh my god." Like one of those things where you like even with job interviews, you want to be like, "But tell me, you know, but like yeah. give me a, What's an exact the timeline." Thing. And yeah. then he negotiates with her and is almost like daring her. She's mm-hmm. like, it might be like, it might be later today. And he's like, okay, well, I'll wait. And she's like, but it might be tomorrow. And he's like, I think I'm going to go ahead and wait anyway. And she's just like, it might be Monday. And he's like, I'll still wait. And she's like, okay, it'll be tomorrow. And he's like, and what time exactly? She's like, 4.30. And he's, it's just like, yeah, it's that painful. is so, All those scenes. Yeah. It's, I completely agree. So all those scenes reminded me a little bit of, have you guys seen Mother? Which one with Albert Brooks? W- no, mo- oh, so, oh my God, sorry. I should be cl- mother the um the Jennifer Lawrence movie. Oh is- no, I don't. I don't, well, the worst. I don't do those Jennifer. But there's Lawrence, a scene like, where well, the whole, the movies. premise of the movie is that like she's Mother Earth and like people are invading her, and so like her house gets invaded by like Javier Bardem or whatever, and she's just like, "What are you?" Or not Javier Bardem. It's Michelle Pfeiffer and someone else, and she's like, "Why are they in my house? They won't leave my house." Like I don't know. It just reminded me of that a little bit. Just like, what if someone were in your space and they wouldn't like just came over to your house? And they wouldn't, wouldn't leave. leave. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like a kind of nightmare, like um, the man who came to dinner kind of situation. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I wanted to return to Dave earlier. You said he's polite, and I see, I heard that as a contrast with Travis Bickle, but um, I mean, I, I know Travis Bickle has really... his moments of politeness, but just yeah. that he. That that Rupert, well, Travis Bickle is he doesn't know how to be polite. It's not part right? of his personality, right? right? The Whereas way that he's Rupert is. Rupert has been studying behavior yes. on television that he's <laughs> trying to emulate. But there are moments where he is he's playing nice, but he's seething with rage. And you really feel yeah. that in that yeah. he has no patience, and it's like boiling mm-hmm. right beneath the surface. Mm-hmm. I think that's a really amazing dimension of De Niro's. Performance, like I actually mm-hmm. think this is one of the more impressive De Niro performances. Um, yeah, 
He's amazing. like out of any of them. I think. I mean, I, I don't know if I like the movie itself as much as the performance, but I mm. think that's why it's my favorite. Like in my top five, Scorsese. I think it's just. I think it's De Niro's probably his best performance I've ever seen. I really do think it's the thing. It's like his his masterpiece. You know. I mean, yeah. you're making me realize like these days, almost every movie I see. It feels like it is about whiteness on some level. Yeah. Because I see whiteness as the ultimate, like, preservation of, or liberalism, maybe, like, or, or not liberalism, but being, you know, yeah, being yeah. a liberal as, like, preservation of civility mm-hmm. above everything else. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. like, he's allowed to wait in that reception room because he is beyond embarrassment. And it takes yeah. them so long to ever call a security guard. Mm-hmm. And I just, I, I don't know. There's, I, there's also, I've also been thinking about the waiting in this movie because in mm-hmm. the very end fantasy or not a fantasy scene, the, the announcer says who we've all been waiting for and waiting for. And I couldn't tell if he meant like two different kinds of waiting or just like mm-hmm. a general, like, waiting for and waiting for, but there's a pause in there. Hmm. And I'm just trying to figure out, like, how does waiting work in this movie, both as, like, a test of, or the people in the line of the the phone for, for the payphone, j- yeah. just, like, waiting. Well, there's okay, nothing maybe in between. this is too clever, no, but it no, has it's... so much weight to it. Like, because oh. the longer you wait, the heavier the desire for some sort of action becomes. Well, that reminds me of Godard's thing where Godard has this thing where it's like, nothing will happen in a Godard movie. And then like someone will like uh, walk across the street and there'll be like a bomb going off because nothing has happened Mm. for so long that you're like, holy Mm -hmm. shit. And I think that's kind of what the temporality, the aesthetics, the aesthetics of the temporality are for this movie, because it's like, there's no in between. He's either waiting or he's kidnapping Jerry Lewis. (laughs) Like, you know what I mean? There's like, or he's, um, you know, finally performing his stand-up or he's or you know, there's there's nothing in between. That's the that's the structure of it, I think. Yeah. And daydreaming, right? Like, right. Which um, is a kind of waiting, right? It's a, which is a kind of waiting, but it, it, it takes place in that waiting space. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, that's that's pretty fascinating. I don't know. I think it's also why the first 45 minutes, I, I think at least the first 45 minutes of the movie do feel so long. It's not even a two-hour yeah. movie and it feels, to me, it felt like... <laughs> And I mean this in a complimentary way. It felt like it's fucking forever. Yeah. No, totally. Yes. Um, so Ebert said, it was one of the most arid, painful, wounded movies I've ever seen. This is wounded. a movie that seems wounded. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. This, is a, this is a movie that <laughs> seems ready to explode, but somehow it never does. Right. Yeah. I think that kind of captures the the weird temporality that you all are talking about too. Like mm-hmm. the sense that it, that it could explode never dissipates, but the fact that it never does, I do think you're left lingering in this kind of way, waiting or anticipating something. Well, right at the end, if it, if it is a fantasy, it's mm-hmm. a fantasy of Rupert in some sort of waiting scenario He's in, he's in, he's got to be incarcerated somehow. He's in a hospital or he's in a prison or something. And he's just waiting until the fulfillment of him as, you know, celebrity inmate, you know. Can I make a request? Comes out. Every time someone says the word fantasy, can we do a Mariah Carey drop? 
Honestly, if I had, yeah, we have a budget for drops for sure. No, if, if, if I had been making time codes, I would actually do that. Uh, now, it's, I don't know if it's going to happen. <laughs> Pauline Kale in that essay that you were talking about in the the review, excuse me, in the New Yorker, she called it empty. Also, I thought that was interesting. Yeah. She hated this movie, but she called it empty. It makes sense that she would hate it. I haven't read the review, but I should. Read One it. of the oh. smartest things, well, that I love the most about that review, that really formally separates it from other, even especially Scorsese movies, and I think it like genre, it fits it, it plays into the genre stuff. Is there is so much. Um, there, all of the movie, almost all of the movie takes place inside. There's that one scene of Jerry on the street waving to people, but otherwise it's in rooms. There are very few other cast members. And that really, I think, creates that like Ebert arid quality. Yeah, claustrophobia. And then there's all these mirrors, like especially in the reception area. Yeah, the bureaucracy. yeah. Yeah, bureaucracy, but then also you're thinking like, oh, fame, but also like Rupert never looks in the mirror, so is that his unwillingness yeah. to be, yeah. He can't look in He's the mirror. He can only he can only look at a at a screen, you know. He can't look at a mirror. <laughs> right. Um He's like Taylor oh, Swift. Sh- He'd rather stare directly into the sun than in the mirror. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I don't know. Um, do you guys feel like doing a genre reveal? Is there more that we know, we need to talk about with this movie? Well, I did want... Let's see. Th- there was one ah. one bit I loved, one line I loved, and then another question I had that we've kind of touched on. But yeah, where, 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 where was your it. thing? Just go for it. Go for it. Okay, so the bit, the fucking cue card bit. When Scorsese, oh when De Niro's just <laughs> bumbling the cue cards, it's so such a simple bit, but it's so fucking. And good. Jerry it's is so, so patient again. Yeah, it's yeah. just like it's upset. <laughs> also, so the funny. fact that they're wearing blue blockers during the kidnap, these oh like huge sunglasses, is so funny. Um, and but the line that I love is also when he gives. When Rupert gives the tape to the secretary for the first time, and she like takes it, and she, he's like really, she's like really gonna listen to it. He's just like so excited, and he says the phrase. He's like, "This is really what's right." <laughs> just like <laughs> yeah. for whatever reason, like him, like just not knowing how to say like I am so happy. Like it, it just it's it's his way of like. I, I kept thinking of a moment from RuPaul's Drag Race uh, as a result of this movie where. Um, Valentina is this drag queen who like lost a lost a lip sync or something or or she didn't win a challenge that she thought she was supposed to win and people are just being like girl like it's okay like it, no one thought you should win the challenge and she's like uh she's like it doesn't fit my fantasy and it's like so funny <laughs> and 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 Rupert is the same way yeah but yeah but the the question i have Oh, well, I did also want to know who's the better comic, Rupert 
or Arthur, or Arthur, Arthur in the Joker? <sighs> like, who would you rather see a, a show of? Uh, well, Rupert, because I would not feel safe. Around. <laughs> yeah, Rupert, just for like practical reasons. Yeah, yes, Rupert, like, at least survival. you could be with your friend and like squeeze their leg and be like, "This guy's terrible," right? Like, the, yes, yeah. his set is is could have been at an open mic. That's what uh, I'm. Yeah, yeah. Compl- yeah. That's what yeah. I, I was. I, all I could think about was I was like, "Oh, like he clearly like I've seen worse open mics." Like, you know what I mean? That's what I'm saying. Yeah. That's why I still think. Yeah, he's like, just mediocre too. Yeah. It's not. Yeah. 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 Um. I mean, it's grim, but yeah, yeah. You're invested enough to feel embarrassed for him too. Yeah. I think that's important. Um. Okay. The best scene in the movie takes place outside. It's when they Which kidnap one? Jerry. <gasps> okay. Can we talk about? He's so inept at that part too. The whole thing is so bad. That it's amazing he accomplished hilarious. it. He, okay, so he, they're in the car. with He's in the car mm-hmm. with Masha. He opens the door to get out of the... He opens the front seat to get out of the car. Grabs Jerry. Drops the gun. Drops the gun. <laughs> then opens the back seat door. Like, why didn't you open the door before? Like, why are you... You have... Like, I, I just... I don't know. The whole thing and then, is just... <laughs> the punchline... The punchline is that the, that the vanity plate of the car says, Masha... <laughs> I did not even catch that. Wait, I didn't notice that either. (laughs) It's like, it's just so packed with hilarity, but um, it doesn't know how to drop it as a punchline or something like that. Like, I don't know, a more desperate comedy would do more with its material. And it's just not that desperate about. Yeah. It it has a confidence about how funny it is. I I love that. Which I think is great. Well, there's, it's, I kept like thinking that this could definitely be made i mean i guess not it, it could be made today but that like you know the era of like when everyone was discovering either office british or american and being like sure. have you seen these really yeah. it's so awkward and God. it's like this yeah. these mo- this movie could have been made in that time and i'm like it's such a small click to that telegraphed mm-hmm. awkwardness that this it's movie also, doesn't do. If this do. movie were made today, it would be like starring Bo Burnham or like <laughs> Tiffany Haddish. They'd yeah. have Tiffany Haddish as Rupert Pupkin. <laughs> They'd have to have a, a manic pixie yeah. version of Masha probably yeah. too. Actually, no, yeah, right. Like Tiffany, Tiffany Haddish could be Masha. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Tiffany Haddish yeah, would be would Masha. Yeah. Who, would be, too, yeah. who would be Rupert? I wondered if they would do a gender bend. That's why I was, yeah. Yeah. Who would, would it be, be Rupert now? It could be Wild. Well, Phoenix. I mean, I still think they'd do but, give it to know. Bo Burnham. I do. I think they'd do that to us. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> but it could it could be Joaquin Joaquin Phoenix. And I was thinking about that while while I was rewatching Joker for this. Was oh, I forgot about how he went on Letterman, and yeah. there was that whole thing when he was filming "I'm Still Here," and mm-hmm. nobody knew that he was. I mean, he was actually tapping into his own weird. Meta. I mean, we can add that to our um, our narrative universe. You know, mm-hmm. sure, sure. His yeah. la- his Letterman appearances, his Letterman appearance, and that horrible, horrible rap mockumentary. Album. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, th- it's I guess all that- in this in this vein, don't you think? Totally. I mean, my last okay. bit, like big question, as far as my, I feel like I've had like Dave's lightning round here at the end is. Um, about fame and i feel like that Mm -hmm. is one of the ways in which this movie has aged really fucking well Mm -hmm. is that it seems less like this really facile uh 
analysis of celebrity culture and more, you, you know, now that like this kind of cultivation of image is not, is not even for celebrity. It's just to like get by in, in the type of capitalism. Totally. It also like, like it reminded me of um like, uh, have you guys ever seen the movie autofocus? It's another pulse oh, yes. Schrader script. So good. And it's like, it's one of those like, I think this is like an anti-cinema movie. Like it's a movie that's like a like A.O. Scott wrote this review of Autofocus that I think is actually really good where he talks about it's like an anti-image. The movie is like it's not mm. actually pornography he's addicted to. He's addicted to images. He's addicted to the image. Mm. And I think that's what's happening in the same that's I think that's the same addiction, the same compulsion that we have in this oh my movie. Gosh. Too. I really so want to like, rewatch that movie. It's so good. I love that movie. Also, kind I remember of funny I saw at that times too. Yeah, dark comedy. I saw that with my dad. Oh no! <laughs> I had no idea what it was going to be about, but I was just like, "It's a Paul Schrader movie." It was the opening night. Mm-hmm. I just was in that kind of cinephile moment where I just would go. Yeah. Oh my god, that was one of the most awkward experiences. Yeah, I, bet. I don't know if it was more awkward than when you took me to see Ice Storm. But <gasps> oh my god, I love that movie with the with the Nixon masks. Oh my god, the Nixon mask yeah. moment especially was very. Um, <sighs> Yeah. Brutal. Yeah. I have, yeah, intrusive well, memories of that <laughs> still. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. I just really wish I didn't see it with my dad. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. But, all right, sorry. But do you think the fame stuff is, mm-hmm. like, is, is, I am so sorry oh. that they're, like, chopping down a forest outside my house <laughs> or something. I have no idea. There's a forest? Is. No, there's not. It's just a tree. <laughs> hey, guys. We got, hey, we got, got a little podcast here. Oh, yeah, stop that. But, um, You're having your Mark Marin moment. Yeah, I'm having episode. my Mark last, Marin moment. Last episode, my neighbor had a leaf blower that's going. That's right. That's right. I turned into a crotchety old man. But this, to me, sounds like they're trying to rip up the foundation of a building or something. But uh, Make sure it's not your building. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, okay, when when the executives say that, like, in terms of whether they're going to put Rupert on or not, like this is 10 minutes of a talk show for a man's life. And that seems like a no brainer. I feel like if this were made now, it actually would be a struggle. They would be like, we have advertisers to report to. Yeah. Like, depending yeah. on the man, we don't know if mm-hmm. it's worth to g- give up 10 minutes of screen time. That's so true. Yeah. And then the better to be a king for a night than schmuck for a lifetime. Like, obviously that's like a goofy binary based on Rupert's, psychology but like <laughs> yeah. i don't know what other than creating rupert's desire for it what does fame do in this movie or what what does this movie have to say about fame then and now well it's about attention mm-hmm. i think it's like i said this at the very beginning of this is i think it's um fame and fame as a culture is a consequence of capital moving into the rome like realm of attention of just like being you can't be a person unless you're a brand unless you're seen unless you're yeah marketed and i think that's what and fame is just a metonym for that i think i agree yeah and you said earlier it's about his fan his fantasy is fundamentally about being perceived like this yeah. desire to be perceived right mm-hmm. um which is, so, and that's why I think, I think that's what fame is. Yeah, and I think that's also why when people say it's not relatable, it's like what everybody wants to be seen. You know, like it's how is that like? Yeah, the mechanisms yeah. and like things that yeah. he does are unrelatable, perhaps. But that ultimate core of just what if I were perceived the way I want 
to be seen Oof. you know mm-hmm. is that's a fantasy everyone shares yeah absolutely i don't know what do you think dave well no, no i i totally agree i'm just i'm like man did it so did the movie fail as a warning again if 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 scorsese had any desire to like keep us from this fate he's clearly failed but you know succeeded in terms of being a fortune teller i don't think he's he's i don't think this this is a cautionary film i mean i think that we can look back on it and see it that way for sure but i think i mean i not to be too kind of like biographical about it but yeah that stuff about scorsese Mm -hmm. and his own like obsession with liza minnelli obsession then with uh isabella rossellini and and various other like actresses sexual is that edible too is that another aspect of the edible thing i think it is yeah yeah, because he's conquering these you know direct i mean vincent minnelli was his favorite director for you know i mean quite a while he he wanted to be him he wanted to be him when he was making new york new york and he's fucking his daughter and having his daughter play who would have been his mother you know had vincent i mean it doesn't get more transparent than that. But I do think, like, okay, one thing I want to say about Joker. I agree it is a hammer that thinks it's a scalpel. But because of that, it's very easy to do a kind of diagnostic reading or, yeah, like, yeah. look at what the kind of political unconscious of, of that film is. Whereas I think that's very difficult for King of Comedy. Like, I think that Joker is profoundly, like, racist yeah. and yeah. anti-feminist. And that... It doesn't, because it's so um, purposeful in what it's, like, trying to allegorize, it's so obvious, these blind spots in its own own thinking. Absolutely. That is not the case here, you know, and I don't think, um, I think it is a really subtle film, but I just don't think it's, it's... um, I don't think it's invested in cautioning us. I don't think it's in, invested in really politicizing this True. Um, at all. You know, it's yeah. just like this very um, hallucinatory, um, terrifying. It's like almost a horror or something yeah. like that. You know? Can I also? But I don't. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I'm so sorry. No. Can I tell no, attention to something that I have been kind of obsessed with and I might write about it eventually? So yes. Joker wears a red suit and mm-hmm. uh, Rupert wears a red suit at the very, very end. Not when mm-hmm. he's wearing the polka dot thing, but at the very end he wears a red suit. Um, Richard Pryor wears a big red mm-hmm. suit, very iconic suit in mm-hmm. Live in the Sunset mm-hmm. Strip. The weekend did a performance at the Super Bowl in like 2021 <laughs> where he wears a red suit. And I always saw it as like a kind of citation of prior. I don't know. I have this. I'm like obsessed with the with the big red suit. <laughs> we talked about this with Rathaniel last season, too. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah. But more with the like that, billowy a, shirts. Because I think because prior also color. has shirt. It's specifically the color. The color. I also yeah, think right, there's a being... howdy duty element to it. But yeah, but that doesn't explain the color. Yeah. I don't know. But wait, yeah, what so, do you think okay, about the red? So you, yeah, I don't know. I just know that there, I, that's the thing is I don't, I'm like, there's this red suit and it keeps getting like repurposed. So like in Joker, it's mm. like this MAGA thing, right? It's a, yeah, um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then in, in, uh, it's in, um, 
Live of the Sunset Strip, it's just, it's, that's the first time I've, I've seen it. So it's just, it's its own thing. And then I guess the red suit in, I don't know how to make of the red suit in King of Comedy though. Like Joker just makes me because like well, red maybe mega. in the King of Comedy, okay, right? It's Isn't le- it let me. Sarah let me... Fever also has one too. What? Doesn't he have a red suit? Sarah Fever. I don't remember. Travolta. I thought he wears the white one with the black shirt. I don't oh, remember. Yeah, th- okay, okay, sorry. Well, so <laughs> let's say King of Comedy. This is me like going out on a limb. This bloodless mm-hmm. movie that's mm-hmm. been very like pent up. The mm. the red because it's not just his suit that's red it's everything that's like suffused with red it's like the the mm. guts of the movie finally like oh, oozing out this. and bleeding Ooh. out right oh my god can you can I that, cite you when I oh please yeah <laughs> yes. absolutely <laughs> the good. only thing that doesn't fit for me Eleanor although uh-huh. I'm willing for you to make it fit okay and I have a substitution so I'm I'm trying okay. to strike one from your tally and add one. Okay. Is okay. I don't get how the weekend fits in because and a musician yeah. citing a comedian is a little feels like a stretch, but you're forgetting yeah. Eddie Murphy, which is oh my almost god certainly oh my a, god what is leather. wrong with me it's leather what is yeah, wrong it's leather with me? right right yeah. in raw right yeah, yeah. yeah. holy yeah, exactly. shit I can't believe that, I forgot that we also talked about with Rathaniel <sighs> right so I'm gonna bring Rathaniel into that yeah no no yeah. I remember the yeah. Oh, I want you to write believe- about it, but I also want you to make um, a sisterhood of the traveling pants joke. In the <laughs> yeah, 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 <laughs> absolutely, okay. absolutely. Okay, oh my cool. god, maybe even the title. But... Yeah, brotherhood of the traveling <laughs> suit, big red suit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, should we do our genre reveal? Sounds good to me. Okay. Who's going first? Can I go first, please? Please, yeah. Spilling over. I'm so excited. Okay. So my very first thought was the genre of this movie was what if there was a guy who sucks, which is a very popular <laughs> genre. There's lots of movies. What if there was a guy who sucks? Um, That's and, great. But that also keys into what I think it is ultimately, which is a mass media dark comedy satire, um, mm. similar to the cable guy, um, mm-hmm. similar to the just sort of like, what is it? Um, like a sort of social commentary to like, on uh, social, like what, what uh, you mentioned this earlier, Dave, about like, um, what if, what if someone didn't have shame, right? What if they were completely shameless? Right, and right. Like, yeah, it's just like, I think it's, it's, it's like that the satire is both of mass media, but also how shame enters in as like a non viable entity when mass media culture is over, completely over, takes over. Um, so yeah, I just think it's a mass media dark comedy satire, and it's a villain origin story. Um, well, uh, in some ways, except that he becomes a hero. It starts out as a villain origin story. King of Comedy does. Joker obviously is, but um, and then it sort of doesn't become one. But yeah, that's that's my. That's, that's the best genre reveal of all time. What? Three genres? <laughs> no, no ex- <laughs> what? What if there was a guy who sucks? <laughs> it's like the Doctor Strangelove title. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, yeah. Several semicolons. Or yeah. or or <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Okay. Yeah. And agree with all of it. Totally. Totally. Well, and and also what Eleanor is revealing is that that you and I especially will sometimes go in th- there's multiple ways to take the genre reveal. The genre mm-hmm. of the genre reveal is yes. that reveal it. Is that we can do a lot of times <laughs> we'll do like Blank, blank, blank drama or blank, blank kitchen sink comedy, you know, like mm-hmm. whatever. It, it'll end with a 
an existing genre. But then sometimes, and I feel like Madeline, you're very good at this. Y- you'll have like a uh, like you know clusterfuck for Succession yeah. or meta clusterfuck is is almost its own kind of separate thought, which is what what if there's a guy who sucks is and and yes. those are actually way more like a lot of times like more fun and i finally i don't know if i've fully done one of those but i have i have one for my genre so i guess i'll go next okay give it to us which is i'm calling my genre for this movie is how did you get that and what that (laughs) references i don't know if there's like a scholarly academia version of this but in comedy the 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 question how did you get that about any show opportunity manager booker whatever mm-hmm. is a completely gauche question to ask mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in part because it is one of the most important <laughs> uh des- like it's it's something you want to ask anyone anytime anyone has success you want to be like how did you get that and because there are certain things that are just gatekept, like in my mind, give out the email of the club owner, like let them sort through all the comedian. Like it shouldn't be that fucking gatekept. Let them do the work of like sorting through that stuff. But then other things mm-hmm. where it's like, oh, I booked a part on a sitcom. How did you get that? Is really implying like. I should that sh- I should have gotten that you know it's like I I that should be mine yeah and mm-hmm. because Rupert asks the secretary like exactly what time will that be I feel like Rupert mm-hmm. is the kind of character and this is the kind of movie where the spirit of how did you get that is fully suffused throughout. Yeah, there's also the, like where, how did you get that is such a thing that, like, men love to ask women when they make a joke. Yeah. Like, I love it when, I'll, like, I'll, I'll make a joke and someone will be like, oh, where's that from? And I'm like, my brain? Like, you know, it just, like, doesn't occur to them, you know? Like, oh, what, oh you must be su- quoting a movie. No, no, just, oh, I made a God. joke out of my own mouth. <laughs> yeah, no, I love that. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. And the, okay, mine yeah. is inspired by my cat, who, when my bra drawer of my chest of drawers was like, I left it open and then he like got into it and he was really enjoying like getting in the <laughs> the cups of my bras, you know? Getting those cups, I, Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. He's really into it. And then, then I wore the bra and there was, you know, I, I kind of shook off some hairs, you know, yeah. but it was like the most horrible thing ever. I went out in public and I had these like little cat hairs, like, you know, in my bra, oh, like scratching me. Sensory you know, nightmare. Like, it was horrible. And I wasn't at home, so I couldn't, I couldn't address it. I was just out in the public like that. And so my genre reveal is itchy undershirt because I feel like, um, it's a hair shirt. Like I kept, <laughs> yes, yes. But the undershirt, you know, Feeling like it's uh, yeah underneath something that you're wearing, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Um, like that- people don't necessarily see that that's you know that's that's what's what lies beneath, right? Is this this yeah. you know hives or something that like relates that. back yeah. to the waiting thing too? Because there's like this creeping mm-hmm. malaise, right? Of like mm-hmm. and this yes. tension, and that's oh, that's perfect. I love how visceral that is, mm-hmm. Madeline. Yeah, 
I mean, oh, my understanding is that that's like the the whole experience of wearing a bra in the first place. Is. It's so true. It's so true. <laughs> yeah, but my cat made it much worse. Yeah, totally. You know? totally. So, f him. Yeah. But um, what a dick. And isn't your is this isn't your cat's name Cosmo? Is this the one named after Kramer? Yeah, it was. Yeah. <laughs> Full circle, dude. That's delightful. Full circle. Oh my god. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my god. Yes. No, but uh, I'm glad you both admitted that you had these fantasies. I think that I think that most people, especially people who grew up in the 90s or earlier, have that kind of relationship with one of the talk show hosts. But I am very surprised because I think this is a different kind of fandom that we have, mm-hmm. Dave. Like, I had this loyalty to yeah. Dave. Like, I don't think I've ever seen a Jay Leno episode. You know, mm-hmm. even if it was yeah. somebody who I liked was on, I was not going to do that. No, right? I liked and Letterman kind of more. It was just like sometimes one would be on, sometimes sure, another sure. would be on. But that was kind of the moment that this was starting to get into, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, in the early 80s in terms of we didn't talk much about like talk show history. The which late I night could, wars. I could, right. I could go on and on and on about, but it's like not quite at that moment, but it's getting there. And, and that is a part of it is that you have this familial relationship almost like you know letterman was my cranky uncle or mm-hmm. something like right. that like conan was my weird older cousin or these kinds of bizarre fantasy structures that develop around around talk shows specifically because there's some weird sense of authenticity that that these figures have right as hosts yeah, and my relationship so. is very much more of a how did you get that relationship? Is mm-hmm. a Rupert Pupkin-y, yeah. like, I want to, like, literally I would be like, you know, and, and when I've been in situations with, like, more famous people, like, do I fan out or do I play it cool? And it's like, well, to act like you belong there is what you do if you want to belong there, you know? So it's like yeah. not needing them to know every aspect of my life, wanting them to just be like, oh, wow, that guy's... That guy's that guy's really interesting, you know. Like yeah. wanting to like big time them somehow the <laughs> way Rupert yeah. does. Yeah. Can I yeah. tell you guys a secret? Um, yes. So when I was working on my dissertation, at one point I emailed Lily Tomlin's management to see <gasps> if I could interview her. Whoa. The management got back and said, "Yeah, she, yeah, she's happy to." Uh, and then <gasps> and then I replied, "Okay, great. So let's set up a time." Blah blah blah. And then I never heard from anybody again. Yeah. And oh, here's no. here's the secret part. Part of me was devastated. Part of me was secretly really glad because I didn't want to meet her and be perceived by her because I love her so much. I like, I just, I love her more. She's like my hero. What if she's Mm -hmm. like anything less than, you know, it's like, I feel the same. I feel sort of like this about Dolly Parton too, to an extent, except I've sort of accepted that she's (laughs) just like so traumatized by capitalism that there's things that we wouldn't vibe on. But like Lily Tomlin, I cannot bear it. If like, you know, yeah. So that's, that's my secret that I'm secretly glad it didn't work out. (laughs) I'm glad you brought that up. I mean, it's, I think I don't have quite the same story with um, Bamford, but I tried very hard to interview her for my book mm-hmm. and it didn't work out. Yeah. But this is what our season is about, about, about like, what do we do with these hero figures? Getting the and... sense that stand-up comics are kind of flaky. Yeah, <laughs> but we kind of want to That's why I've got ourselves. a podcast with a scholar. And not a fucking... <laughs> no, wait, scholars, scholars are flakes too. But okay. Yeah. My version of that is like a sadder version because I self book the other podcast 
This mm-hmm. is your afterlife. And mm-hmm. way bigger bands have done the show than this band, Chatpile, who's very good, very like aggro, sort of anti-capitalist, like noise rocky band. And uh, I loved them and thought they should be on the show. And I like tweeted something. Their manager emailed me and was like, oh, hey, like, and I was like, that's never happened that their like manager got in touch with me. Also, I hate dealing with fucking managers. Like, it's so much yeah. easier when you Sounds can just, horrible. whatever. Yeah. And they, and so she asked me, she said, what's the listenership of your podcast? And I, which is such a fucking rude question. And I made mm-hmm. the mistake of telling her and then did not hear back afterwards. And I'm like, man, d- don't, you know, chat pile coming up had shows they were trying to play. And if a venue had said, like, what's your listenership, they would have had nothing to say. Like, so that's my beef. Probably the chat pile probably don't even know about it. It's with their manager. Also, no one even knows what I'm talking about. But I, I have a small axe to grind with, you know, chat pile on one hand, Lily Tolman on the mm-hmm. other. S- same yeah. difference, you know, the representation, at least. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah. listen to that podcast. Are there things that you all want to uh, have have coming up or anything, Eleanor? Oh, I just directed my show. It already happened. So uh, I have. Um, Congrats. Thank yeah. you. That's great. Um, I think I'm going to go to the grocery store later, but I don't want to. So I need to get hyped up. So any brands you want to give a shout out to really exciting uh granolas or toilet uh, papers I'm gonna get anything? some more cheerios gonna get some more cheerios okay so check out yeah. cheerios yeah. yeah i prefer joe's but oh uh, yeah um, well you have to go to santa fe for that so <laughs> oh well no no thank you um yeah i really like this like cheese it's got um it's goat cheese it has fennel and lavender in it Ooh, Ooh. that sounds good it's goat okay. cheese that sounds good. Yeah, and it it's about to expire, so I I bought a whole bunch of them because they're on sale. So I think that's what <laughs> they're all going to expire on the same date. <laughs> well, like in a week or something. Okay, I'm like, right. I can I can do this. I can eat all of this in a <laughs> yeah. week. It'll be fine. And it's I, yeah, so, I don't need the the later expiration date. There's already a sense of urgency <laughs> when I have this cheese mm-hmm. in my fridge. You know. <laughs> Well, eat so. goat cheese, eat Cheerios, listen mm-hmm. to This Is Your Afterlife. Those are our big plugs for the week. Yeah. Um, Your letterbox, too. Yeah, my letterbox. Dave Marr. Yes. Dave Marr. I fucking, I'm loving letterbox, dude. I'm, I'm, I don't think I'm very entertaining, but I'm keeping good good record of my of my movie watching, and it feels satisfying to. I've been I trying. Get, King of Comedy gets four stars for me. Woo! I've been oh, trying to make stars. a joke about letterbox, like, but I barely even know her style, like letterbox. But I don't know how to do it. I don't know how to make the joke work. Letterbox. <laughs> well, because the er, because the er <laughs> yeah, comes exactly. in the middle, not at the end. Yeah. Le- letterbox. Letterbox. <laughs> I don't even know her box. Or <laughs> yeah, it doesn't it doesn't work. <laughs> hey, yeah, yeah, Maybe yeah. we'll figure it out by next week. Right. Thank you guys so much for having me. Thanks for coming. Thanks on. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for coming on.